Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Glory to Jesus Christ, Mikey. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. Yes. This is uh, Father Mike. The Father Mikes. Oh, man. Double. We're, we're like twins. Yeah. Name twins. So Molly, so our, our editor, Molly Tynan, uh, texted me, and we'd, we had never had each other's phone numbers before, so I got this this text just saying, Father Mike, and then it went, like, explained what she wanted, then at the end it was like, by the way, oh, a second text said, by the way, I know you're Father Michael O'Loughlin, not, not Father Mike rap. I was like, okay. <laughs> it just, it, it does. It's actually, she's one of the few females that does not, that shortens my name to Mike. Oh, really? Most of the time, if, I've, if I mind. say my name, I don't mind. But most of the time when, when I say my name is Michael, every guy shortens it to Mike and every girl keeps it Michael. It's really? like, yeah, it's, it's pretty explicit. I think because girls just kind of care more about like what, what they think we want to be called and guys are just like, they become, you know, familiar almost oh, yeah. immediately. Yeah. Well, I like, I like Mike. Uh, I like Michael too, but I could, I mean, if it would help, I could change and use my middle name, Lawrence. Except the thing is, like, my alter ego is Larry. And okay. now it's become a thing to make fun of me for when I'm in a saucy mo- mood okay. or early in the morning, I'm more like Larry. That's than, Larry. I could, you, you seem like a Larry to me. You do definitely do not seem like a Lawrence to me. Really? <laughs> I don't know why in my mind, but La- Lawrence. Lawrence is the saint. Larry oh, is yeah. like the cultural, you know, Well, the like same American. thing with Mike. You take off the A-E-L, which is the God part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you remove the, exactly. the L from Michael, you're you're taking off the uh, the Elohim off the end. That's maybe that's what it is. I need to be Michael. Yeah, that'll be more Just, saintly. Well, uh, well, he's a great patron. I love. Oh him. yeah, I do too. I would have. It's a it's a very Byzantine tradition to change your name and ordination. Yeah, to be something kind of more Byzantine, especially for us converts that are like you know. We we kind of express the fact that we we are fully Byzantine because we changed our name to like like what is, what was it Paul Paul Frank is Chrysostom Frank Father Chrysostom Frank Oh no yeah what was, was it I think name? it was Paul It could have been Paul Yeah Anyway he's he's changed it to Chrysostom a very very Byzantine name but, Yeah uh, I would, they they all have these Slavic names like Melodius Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Methodius you mean <laughs> Mel- Melodius, Melodius. <laughs> That's more a musical yeah. term, I guess. Well, but. there is um Saint um Oh my gosh, I'm I'm gonna everybody's yelling at me. Um the hymnographer, um the melodist. Who's who's the business? Romarius? No, Rom, thank you. Romanos. Romanos. Romanos the melodist. There was yeah. one okay, so when we started this podcast, it was at the at the seminary. Yeah. And the studio was named after that guy. Romanus, Romanus, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and well, we I guess, had an okay. I- icon of St. Romanus or something. That was the name yeah. of the studio. That's interesting because normally, of course, in the West, they would have Lucy as the patron of music, right? Or Cecilia. any or recording. Yeah. Or Cecilia, yeah, excuse yeah. me. Cecilia. Yeah, Cecilia. But we have Romanus. Romanus, the melodist, yeah. So we must have had some infiltration, Eastern infiltration, yeah. when they started that studio. Well, I was. When I, when I came here 12 years ago, I did, 12 and a half years ago now, I did love the spirituality or chapel before you had the spirituality or house, the St. Chamiani, that was just all icons. Oh, yeah. And I thought, this is, this is, this is like me. Yeah, <laughs> I could pray I'm here. here. <laughs> yeah. I'm home. Exactly. Well, okay, so you've got a lot of icons in your studio here. Yeah. Um, but you also have this painting that I'm trying to make <laughs> sense of, and I wanted you to, not that you have to, but I'm 
kind of laying on the couch right now as if it's like one of those Freudian. I'm going to feed you, you know, grapes or something like that. No, that wasn't what I, <laughs> I was thinking. Help me with life. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, this painting is one of those Rorschach things where I'm. Yeah. It's cool, but I don't know what it is. So, so this painting is is a sign that my my carelessness with home decorating is ancient. So, like, I don't I don't care about atmosphere and where I live at all. You can probably tell. Like, I, right now, I have a TV oh, that on. I'm not that I'm not allowed to have as a companion. It's glorious in si- here, <laughs> sitting on the ground <laughs> facing the wall. I have, yeah. I mean, at, at literally. So, what happened was is is when I came here twelve and a half years ago. I mean, my predecessor had so many books that that wall behind you, which is the living room, right now recording in my living room, um, of the rector at Holy Protection, the, the that back wall was all bookshelves. I mean, like he had bookshelves there, and he took all of his books, of course. It was just empty bookshelves. Uh, so I didn't have enough books to fill it. So they stayed empty bookshelves for like three to four years. I remember, okay. So and then um and so anyway this this whole house like I didn't change a thing like nothing moved I just didn't I I I slept at the rectory that's all I did here I my ADD I was always out so um this one woman in the parish God bless her um she came over for something one time and she's just like I'm this does not look like a home and I was like yeah I really don't care but she she bought that that oh, frame nice. at like a thrift store and it had that picture in it it's just like it's modern art kind of blobs of paint you know thrown on there <laughs> like you said a rorschach test type thing so anyway so she she bought it for me but like she didn't put it up she didn't take the shelves down she just left it sitting in the living room and i was saying hey you need something for that wall when you do take the shelves down so here so she gave me that and she said you can put whatever you want in there but the frame is nice that's why she bought it for the frame uh. so then father peter musset i I, th- I feel like i've told this story before father peter musset from the lanky guys podcast we went to israel together with you yeah. that's right with you mm-hmm. and you and book and then like maybe three weeks later he came over to my house on a wednesday i was like hey father mike let, let, let's hang out and i was like dude, today's not my day off. Like I had all kinds of stuff going on that day. So he came in here and he's like, your house is ugly. I was like, yeah, again, I don't care. So he spent, he loves art and decorating. He spent like four hours. He took all the shelves off the wall, patched all the holes. I was out. I was like doing sick calls. Oh, I think I have heard this. Well, that's really nice. So he comes in and he he hung that picture up. He like went into my room, found all my, my icons, like hung the icons up and he made it look mostly yeah. like a living livable room. yeah he made it he made it look like like human lives here so anyway so that that's what that is that that was supposed to be that's like a 10 year old frame with some random painting that was supposed to be replaced by something else 10 years so, ago i mean it looks nice it's, <laughs> yeah it's not it's that pleasant bad. you know yeah. they so but it's like the marketing thing it was the stock photo that yeah was that's in that it's, frame. It's, exactly it's kind of like supposed to be a stock photo well i'm glad and, it's that and not like some people sometimes they have <laughs> right like, you know like a a family picture in with there. the size then, of the frame across their face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ten, 10 by four, or whatever. It's like, well, that's very confusing. We did have some pranksters. I feel like I've told this before too. We did have some pranksters in college when when a lot of kids at Steubenville would put up their family's photos on the outside of their door, and a couple of kids just put up stock photos oh, yeah. of like other families. Yeah, yeah. But actually, what? So there's that thing, and then um, there's <laughs> like handicap bars <laughs> on your stairs. <laughs> And I don't know if maybe you just come home tired. I know you stay up late, but yeah. um, are you getting ready for uh, Deacon Daryl or something? I mean, so th- that is also ancient, and just I never took the time to remove them. So there, there's there's two grab bars to go up the two steps from my di- living room into my dining room, 
and uh, and they're still there because my predecessor was in a wheelchair and he needed uh, the help okay. getting up and down. There's also they're still in the bathrooms. I've left them there. I didn't. I just. I yeah. Just, well, I, it's thoughtful. Yeah. I mean, like in our churches, we all have these ramps yeah. and things. But but so oh. what I use those for is in my ADD, I like to run around my house when I'm alone. And I can just kind of sprint everywhere, so those bars help me like round the corner quicker. Yeah, you're gonna rip off the drywall <laughs> I know, there. I know. I mean, it's just a matter of time. It's I can't wait. Accused. Just let me know. Take a picture <laughs> when it happens. <laughs> we like uh, text you in Rome. So, Mikey. Uh, so my happened. sister, uh, my sister has a barbecue yesterday, and congratulations. I mean, this is very yeah. This is a qu- very quick announcement. My mom said, "Oh, you can't tell anybody because I got to call my." My mom and oh. I know my grandma Mary listens to well, this. Well, this, so. this posts on Thursday. So, mom, you, mom, you better hurry up. Yeah, she's probably <laughs> taking care of this, I imagine. But okay. we find out that I'm going to be an uncle for the first Yay! time. Yay! Congratulations, Mikey, Rose, and Isaac. And um, it's it was, so it was a great joy for my whole family. But um, I'll keep talking about that as it goes because it's just fun. Like yeah. I'm, I get to be jealous of my friends and share in their joy yep. for years now, and now it's going to happen. Okay, yeah. so um, w- one thing they did is they set up this situation where the family is posing for a picture, invite us over for a barbecue, and they're setting up this surprise. And I, some of the siblings, they kind of knew what was going on. Mm. They kind of suspected or whatever. Right. I had no idea. I just thought the barbecue was great. Okay. You know? And then we're sitting there for a picture, and uh, he says, you know, everybody say cheese. And then he says, oh, let me take another one. Everybody says Rose is pregnant, you know? And um, you and get snap to a see. Photo. Yeah, and he's taking video and everything. So you get to see different people's reactions, like how they deal with this extremely joyful surprise, right. you know? So a couple of my siblings are crying. Some are just smiling and laughing. Some are hugging <laughs> Rose. I found out my thing is clapping. Okay. Yeah, so I just start clapping. Nice. Oh, yeah. I don't know what to do, you know? I'm just excited. <laughs> you applaud the, the reality, yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I'm, I'm, it, it was just intriguing to see, like, you know, how, how do people deal with the extreme excitement differently? Yeah. But now I'm nervous. Because I was thinking about this, and I'm like, well, there's some like kind of awkward situations that are very sort of ironically happy for Christians. Oh, so what happens like when we we uh, commend the dead to eternal life? I mean, oh. that's really ha- is Father Mike just going to be like, yeah, it's happening, <laughs> yeah, and clapping, yeah, during the consecration? Am I going to? Burst out into spontaneous clapping. This could be. This could get awkward, you know. Well, no. I mean, the, the, look at some uh, evangelical churches. People screaming out "Amen" and clapping and I things know, like but that that's during. Not, it's not part of our tradition, and it's not in the oh. right. Like at the consecration, I can't do this. It'll be distracting oh, to people. Yeah, you're right. But, but it's extremely good news. Yeah, there's a certain childlikeness to that, though, too. I mean, like when you when I see kids in church and they do things that are just very human, it's like no one criticizes them because they're kids, and it's it's actually very pure and innocent and certainly sincere. If a kid, you know, we had a we have new canters now, so uh, we're doing canter training, so we're training our canters, and so we had three brand new canters cantering our eight o'clock liturgy on Sunday. And so one of them did the, the, the epistle as well, chanted the epistle. So at the end, it's like very specific. So since everything's chanted in the Byzantine, right, you have at the end of the epistle, so that the priest knows that it's ending, you have a different melody for the last line that's chanted. And so 
as the and we've heard this forever. So one of the the three men that were cantering on Sunday, they all have kids. So like to allow their wives who are down in the pews to have some prayerfulness, they brought like half their kids up to the choir loft with them. So all three cantors are trying to deal with little kids as they're cantering, which is beautiful. But as one of the men is finishing the the epistle, can they they canter from the pews or from a, like a microphone? They canter up, up from a choir loft above everybody oh, okay. else. In the and there's all you can stand up there too. Just I mean people can go up there if they want, but they stand in the very front of it. And uh, so he's cantering, and he finishes the epistle like, you know, glory forever and ever, amen, is how it ends. Nice. And, and he's like, glory forever, ah, and his little daughter, who's like four, sings the Edward along with him, amen. So like, yeah. she just had this little girl singing with him. And it was like, she... Somebody's I, been at home practicing. Exactly. <laughs> and he, she probably ordered her to practicing, knew the words. And so as she's singing along, and I look up at her, and her face is just angelic, like just singing, oh, yeah. amen. Like, is, is unaware that she's the only one other than him singing. She's really not supposed to be singing at that point, but it was just like, it was so natural and human for her to sing along with him. But the end, I was like, that was beautiful. So if, if you started clapping in the consecration, you'd have a lot of people start criticizing you, of course, because they think it's inappropriate. But if it's done in a childlike way, then that's worship. I like your optimism. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's true that you know children get a, a good break, and it's that spontaneity is beautiful, and yeah. it's the, like the freedom in the Christian life, prayers yeah. like that. But trust me, if you do something <laughs> different, it doesn't matter what it is, you're going to hear about it as a right. priest. One thing I have not heard about is every once in a while, one of my nieces or nephews will want to be picked up during the homily because they're, they're just so used to hanging out with me that, of course, they see me start preaching and I'm just standing there alone. Oh, really? Like, Why is he just standing there without a kid in his arms? It's like, it's like weird for my family to be standing around without a kid in our arms. I have now 12 nieces and nephews. Oh, yeah. So it's like, so they'll like walk up and I'll hold them for a bit during the homily and then they'll want to get down after like, you know, a minute or whatever. So that, but nobody's ever complained about that, thank God. Yeah. Well, you have a small congregation yeah. too, so don't make our huge par- Catholic parishes jealous. And <laughs> now all all the parents are sending their kids up there, like right, trying exactly, to get Father yeah. to hold you for the homily. Well, supposedly Larkin at Lords, like when he processes out, there's a couple of kids that just like walk up and grab his hands. Yeah, <laughs> so he processes out holding a couple of kids' hands, which is beautiful. Yeah, it is absolutely. All right, Mikey, I'm going to jump to my topic. Um, so I was I was going to try to smoothly go into this earlier when you mentioned uh, oh, the no. saint, the saint for today. I do really bad I, at transitions. Who's, what? I'm really good at, <laughs> at interrupting, de- derailing the train. <laughs> yeah, interrupting and derailing the train. I, I was trying to, but get we've been it doing this for then. years. So yeah, yeah. No, Where were everybody we? knows that we get derailed. We're, we're a lot. talking about. <laughs> Um, so anyway, no, I, I didn't jump in, but um, so our our well, saint speaking for today. of de- de- derailing, <laughs> I'm getting a lot of feedback from friends about your clipping your toenails oh, in the middle gosh. of our podcast. Right when I was like ramping up to this climactic point about the name of Jesus, could there be anything more sacred? And then we get interrupted. I was like. I was trying to be present, but not present. And I was like, I, there's things I need to do. And personal well, grooming is one of them. And, well, Goebel didn't wait for me to make the point, And then we can kind of like sidetrack into this rather worldly, mundane yes. sort of reality. Yes. He just interrupts right in the middle of the thing. Well, you that's know. how Goebel and I roll, because we're used to each other. So we're used to interrupting All right. a lot. So, All right. so we're I apologize about for that. Saint of the day. I, I sat in on. Uh, Nepal Gobel yesterday, and I made sure I did not clip my toenails. I didn't make 
make any weird looks. I didn't spill coffee on myself. I'm just, oh man, I'm a wreck. I just spilled coffee all over my face. Don't don't drink coffee while inclined. It really is like 11.30 in the morning, and there's no whiskey here. It's decaf coffee. I got no excuses at all. Speaking of childlikeness, that was just like he tried drinking coffee while laying down, like every kid does at some point in their life. That was pretty funny. All right, shut up. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll get off the topic then, and we can uh, we can go. So anyway, uh, today is we're recording on June twenty sixth, and uh, June twenty sixth on our uh, Byzantine Ruthenian calendar is uh, Saint David the Dendrite of Thessaloniki. Oh yes, quiz show. What was the first Catholic sub podcast? The stylites. So stylite pillars saints exactly stylite events that they lived on pillars. That was it. Yep. Yes. So what is a dendrite? Dendrite means that you live on lily pads, or you walk on glass, or you eat <laughs> plants. Isn't like dent is there something yeah, about trees? It exactly. It means you live in a tree. Oh yes. So lily pads, plants, I get glass. I don't I don't know. That's that just a just very random aesthetical guessing. thing. But. I'm not a very good guesser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is St. David the Dendrite of Thessaloniki. So he lived for three years of his life in a tree. It's a treehouse saint. It is absolutely a treehouse saint. Do they have to build like planks of wood and stuff? That's and the they... problem is he didn't. That was part of the asceticism. Was I mean, it, it, they talk about at least a stylite has stability. A dendrite, the tree as the story says, waves in the wind. So Whoa. you're exposed to the elements, the heat, the cold, summer, winter. You're, you're exposed to everything, and then you're also exposed to the swaying of the tree. And so it's like, it's like even more hardcore, more ascetical than a stylite is. But don't you get like the protection of the leaves and stuff from the... Well, there's no yeah. snow in Thessaloniki, no, maybe. No, no, no. Well, that's... Is that... Where, where in Greece is Thessaloniki? I don't know. I'm not good enough at it. But anyway, I, I don't. I don't think they got I snow, but they certainly got cold. Think there's snow. So yeah. the, the way it's described is wait. This so was, uh, wait, hold on. Yes. Do you, do you live in like a notch in the tree or? So here here's the icon. Get no, the, the icon's really cool. It's yeah. got this guy with the he's he's chilling in the branches, and the tree's growing up all around him. It's a very beautiful icon with this huge beard. Yeah. So that's part of the story. Was that he, so he he lived in a monastery first. He left the monastery in Thessaloniki. He left the monastery to live in the tree to become a dendrite. And then when he became a dendrite, he lived up there for three years. And then they, and, and he, would, he would speak to people. They'd come talk to him, ask him for wisdom. Um, and then he came down and, because the people built him a little booth. Like, so that he could be a little, as he got older, a little bit safer. So they built him in this booth. He lived up in the tree for three years, came down from the tree, lived in like a little cell, like a, a, a booth set up as a cell with a little tiny hole in it where people could give him food and where he could like give advice and things like that. They'd mm. like bring people to have him heal them and he'd reach his hand out and like put his hand on their head, things like that. So, but when he came out of there, he had, it said, I think like hair down to his knees and a beard down to the ground. So he had just oh, yeah. like true humility, like, like just let let nature take its course. He didn't. I mean, that's what most Byzantine monks do. They just never. They have their shaved, their head, their, their head shaved, and they get tonsured when they first become a monk, and then they just never cut it again. It's it's an act of naturalism, an, an act of humility, and so. But they said David's again. Cool. It, was, it was all the way down to the ground. So, um, 
so he he healed a couple people by reaching his hand out to the side of the cross, putting his hand on their head, etc. Um, but what they would say is when he lived in this hut, they would uh, people would stand on the city walls because it was outside the city walls, which is another act of asceticism because the barbarians were constantly attacking Thessaloniki. So in other words, the barbarians would pass by all the time, and there was a couple of miracle stories about the barbarians coming and like one one barbarian like took his axe to to hack down the hut, and he stuck his hand out. David didn't kind of bless him; he just froze like that. <laughs> And so he stood there oh, fr- yes. frozen with his axe and his hand up over his head like he's going to destroy the thing. And then pretty much the barbarians begged him to let him go, and they would not destroy the hut. So he, so he did. He blessed the guy, and he let him go. Barbarians went on their way, but the people well, would That's stand- like a superpower. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's very Marvel. That's how, uh, yeah, sense. it's almost like one of those, even like a Looney Tunes thing. Like mm-hmm. he kind of <laughs> tickles him with his head, you know, like his axe in the air. And this is like the 6th century, so maybe that's where Looney Tunes got these things. Yes. They read the stories of the saints. Why not? Anyway, um, so, but, but what why, happened was... Well, I, can't, I don't understand why the barbarian wants to destroy this little hut. It's like an outhouse. Yeah, I mean, it was... They probably didn't understand anything and just were just destroying everything them. in their path, probably. Yeah. That's cool. I like angry, this. Angry, angry people. Um, anyway, so, uh, so in the hut, miracles would happen that were obvious to people sitting in the city walls at night. So in the Roman Catholic Church, what is the, what is the typical gift slash sacrifice a holy person is given if they're holy enough so that their life aligns to Christ's? Uh, I, like I would one of the say big ones. the uh, wounds of Christ. There we probably. go. Stigmata. Yeah. Stigmata. Yeah. So the stigmata, I mean, many obviously think of Padre Pio, think of Francis of Assisi. Yeah, Francis. Um, in the East, they actually, the kind of the, the sign similar to a, to a stigmata if someone is that holy is they actually have the light of the transfiguration. Ooh. So they glow like Moses did, and, and they grow like, like Moses and Elijah, like Christ did on transfiguration, which is the uncreated divinity of Christ. So when someone participates in theosis, in other words, they become united with God, they will start their faces and their hands will glow oh, like glow. the transfiguration oh. did with the uncreated light of God, uncreated light of Christ, at the transfiguration of the uncreated God. So his his hut would do that. It, and they would think it was a fire. Like the first couple of nights, they thought the hut was on fire. So at night, Whoa. the people would stand on the city walls. They'd see the hut all aglow. They thought it was a fire. So anyway, they, they finally realized it wasn't. It was the uncreated light of the transfiguration. So um, people would come to the city walls at night and watch, almost like people watch fireworks. They'd watch his hut kind of glow, and it almost looked like it was on fire burning. Um, so that's one of the many miracles that he did um, for the Saint David, uh, David the Dendrite of Thessaloniki. Um, but what happened was is then the the local governor got offended by something the emperor was doing, and they wanted to like cut his region in half and like give um, the other region of this kind of government, this governed area. Um, anyway, he got offended by something the emperor did. So he wanted to send David, this holy man, to go to the emperor to plead that they keep Thessaloniki governed the way it is with the, with the boundaries of the area, etc. I'd have to read it again to get the specific. It's, it's these ancient government terms, kind of like counties, you know, mayors, etc. So um, David agrees. He goes, and then one of the miracles he did was he walks in the presence of the emperor. Obviously, there's people waiting in line to talk to him. So, so David has to wait about an hour. So he takes a coal like for incense, and he lights, he lights the coal in, his, in the palm of his hand, and he puts incense on the coal, and he walks around for an hour with his burning coal in his hand, like incensing 
the inside of the the area where the emperor is, like just like you would do to prepare a church for prayer. If you ever go to go to Byzantine liturgy, you'll see the priest or the deacon incense the the walls of the church before the divine liturgy even begins, yeah. and that's what he did. David walked I think around. Of Abraham kind of uh, building altars around the boundaries yeah, of the holy land, exactly, and yeah. consecrating it. You know? Right, you're kind of blessing the, the the physical area, right? And that's what David did as he was kind of preparing for this conversation. But but he had the burning coal in his hand. He just walked around with it because they didn't have any censers, so he walked around. And then when the emperor obviously was like, who is this guy? And then when he finally got to talk to him, David convinced him to give a favorable result to the governor of Thessaloniki. But um, his hand was not burned at all, and it was obviously just one of the other miracles of David. He actually died on the way back to Thessaloniki after that trip. So kind of all of his yeah. his ministry was done. Um, so another an, one person asked, by the way, this morning, as many of you know, I, I put on Facebook like, hey, we're recording in two hours. Mike Rapp and I are recording in two hours. Um, you know, topics. And one of the topics was unknown saints. So anyway, I was, oh, nice. was going to kind of do that anyway because I read a story just this morning. Well, can um, I make a comment about this guy? Please. What I mean, just like, an, I think it's interesting that, um, well, one, like we don't really have this hermit tradition. Um, I'm, I'm friends in Rome with this guy named Brian um, from Minnesota. And he's, he's like being formed and doing uh, formation. He's studying... Uh, in preparation to be a diocesan hermit. Mm. Okay, so I, don't, I just like don't know a lot of hermits. This yeah. isn't like, but in the history of the church and like all these saints, there's a great tradition of these individual contemplatives whose role is to go out and pray and do um, asceticism, penance. And when I was in the Holy Land, I remember going to some of these monasteries in the desert where there were caves carved out yep. and it was like a beehive, man. There were times when there were thousands of hermits living in those things. Yep. And I think we kind of look at that in our contemporary sort of utilitarian uh, society, even church sometimes and say like, how, what's, you're not being useful, right. you know, like our thing? problems are different than that. Yeah. Like you're just going and being selfish and being weird. And then like, how are you really helping or whatever? And I think, What's cool about this is that his story is both like the Fuga Mundi. You know, Fuga Mundi is like leaving the world, yeah, and ch- like going to find God. Flee the you know? world, yeah. Fleeing the world, rejecting the world, yeah. which is kind of necessary. Jesus talked about that. Unless you give up all your your worldly interests and, right. and attachments, you can't follow me. Right. So there's an invitation to flee the world in prayer and asceticism, and then. Um, he, but it's the same guy who they're appealing to to stave off the barbarians, yep. to uh, do diplomacy with the emperor. Yeah. These very, you know, political or worldly sort of tasks and needs. Yeah, you know, what are we going to do? The barbarians are coming. Right. Most people are thinking, well, let's you know build an army, train our people, or hire an army or something like that. Right. There's another story of Pope St. Leo the Great that's like that, with Attila the Hun attacking Rome, yeah. and he goes, meets with him in the night, and he just takes his army elsewhere, mm. even though there, there's really no explanation. Mm. Um, is, is, that the, uh, is that the statue to the left with the main altar in St. Peter's? Mm-hmm. That's not my favorite statue in St. Peter's. Yeah, it just cool. shows Peter and Paul like coming, because like, Pope Leo called upon them, and they're like coming, flying from the sky, and, and, and Attila the Hun is just like looking horrified. Yeah, he has this vision of Peter and Paul, yeah. and they're coming with their swords. And, yeah. 
Um, yeah, so I guess the, my point is just we tend to think that we have to figure everything out with our own devices. Yeah. And in fact, some of the foolishness of just going after a holy life is uh, ultimately what's going to help the world the most. Right. You know, and if you love the world, so we kind yeah, it's a time right now when it's like, well, what are you doing practically to change people's lives? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, well, somehow in our history, people following God radically and listening to what He wants can look crazy, but do yeah. a lot of yeah. good. In fact, more good than anything that you could yeah. sort of invent or come up with. So that, yeah, that prayerful contemplative discernment of life, is yeah. just, um, it's profound. And we need examples of that too. So I commend my friend Brian and all these other hermits, you know, like I used to be a dendrite. When I was a kid, I was a exactly. dendrite, I think. <laughs> I that but it was thing. more like from maybe half an hour at a time. Right, right. I didn't do three days. Right. Yeah, he did three years. Oh yeah, three yeah, years. Three years. No, in I did three years without coming down. So, um, anyway, lots of practical things. I'm thinking of <laughs> wondering how that worked, like like using the restroom, et cetera. But anyway, they, these are the the practical I'm things that come to you, mind. Man, but they uh, it was an ascetic life. Um, but you, I mean that that's what you know. That uh, there's a lot of criticism, and it's been for the past few years with all the tragedies in the U.S. A lot of criticism of that that kind of overused phrase, thoughts and prayers. You know, mm. there people are like, we need more than thoughts and prayers are pointless. Thoughts and prayers are worthless. And my first impression is, is when I think that that phrase thoughts and prayers come, at least in my experience comes from people that like they're, they're asking for something they're asking on, on they'll go on social media and say, um, please, I, I have this going on in my life. It's hard. Please. I'd love positive thoughts or prayers. And they, they don't want to offend on Christians or people that don't believe in God. So they put thoughts you know, on there too. It's also like you go to someone, I don't believe in God, but I go to a funeral to support the person. I say, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sending you positive vibes, positive thoughts. So obviously, I think that's where it came from. So I, I kind of cringe at people when they put the two in the same category. Like thoughts and prayers are completely different things mm. because it's, you know, prayers are effective. Prayers are the most effective thing. And, and again, we need action. We need to actually work. But you, you, you shouldn't belittle, of course, the power of prayer, whether it's someone who lives only life of prayer, like a hermit, or someone who just lives a layperson in the world who, who prays along with everything else. Like, you should not belittle prayer. And, and the devil said, the devil's wants us to, to diminish the power of prayer. The devil wants us to stop praying. And, and if, if we align thoughts and prayers together, then we're saying, well, it's the same thing. Just thinking of someone, what good does that do? You know, but praying for someone does do good. You're, in a sense, surrendering your ability to help in an area where you can't to God. You know, that's why, um, what, what does Jesus say when, when they cast out the devil from the boy when he comes out from that transfiguration? You know, this kind can only be cast out by prayer and fasting, you know, yeah. like, like prayer is a prayer and fasting are both acts of surrender. Like I'm talking to God about it, or I'm fasting, which is an ascetical practice. It's a it's in a sense saying I'm not in control, and I'm purposely not in control. That's what fasting is. Is one of the things fasting is is saying I am not going to pretend like I live a luxurious life or that I'm in heaven yet. I'm going to actually limit my experience through fasting so that I don't get everything I want when I want it as a sacramental sign that I'm still waiting for something better, you know? And and in a sense, so when, when Jesus says, it can only come out by prayer and fasting, he's saying, tag out, 
Like, let me do it. Like, you can't cast out this type of demon. You need to, you need to lessen yourself through fasting and call upon me through prayer. I'll handle the demon, you know? So, so, but I, I, I've thought about this. I preached on it recently. It's more, if, if we can actually build up thoughts as well, because thoughts, even though I don't think it's meant this way, thoughts can be beautiful because in the, in the Byzantine language, we often ask Jesus to remember something like when when you when you when you have somebody die you sing eternal memory it's it's our hymn for the deceased in other words lord call this person to mind and it the greek word is of course anamnesis mm-hmm. right and do this in remembrance of me jesus says anamnesis means recalling recollecting remembering like you dismember something you take it apart remembers to put it back together so if we ask god to remember something we're saying call this person to mind, but when he calls them to mind, they're present in his mind in a way much different than if we just remember an event or think of somebody. But if I say, I'm thinking of you, that can be a very Christian thing, because what you're saying is, I'm recalling you to mind, I'm remembering you to mind, you're present in my mind, and through through mystical theology, through theosis or deification, what that means is that you are actually present to me, I'm participating in your life through Jesus Christ and through the one body of Christ. So, in a sense, I'm 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 causing myself to be more offended <laughs> when people say that thoughts and prayers are useless. I'm like, nope, thoughts and prayers are well, both effective. Well, it's like, you know, you're talking about like a, a ritualized thought process. This kind of right ritual. It's memory, not what they mean, but communally together, yeah, remembering specific things. You know, so yeah, we do get you can get the the terms and the ideas confused. And I think people, it's a good point to make because people get confused about prayer. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? Right. Ask God for something. Talk to God. Bring a care and a need and a concern to God and let go of it. It's like maybe a a metaphor I'm thinking of is uh, Father Nathan uh, broke his arm, broke his elbow, his radial head Mm. uh, the other day. And I was there and you know, here's my brother in need. I feel bad for him and everything. It doesn't matter if I if I think nice things toward him, right? You know, right? Like I, even like if I help him out, I can only help him out to a certain degree. Like I can cl- clean up his scrapes and stuff, right? But I actually the best thing that I can do is take him to a doctor yeah. and hand him over to somebody who knows better and can check him, has the resources to do it. You know, X ray machine. Can uh, and also knows what to do. I just don't know what to do. And I think in a lot of our lives, that humility of of the um, the saint is to say we often think we know what to do much more yeah. than we really yeah. do. And even right. as like a society, sort of like we can fix ourselves or we can do make the right decisions or um, and personally, you know. And the fact is, we actually maybe the best thing we should be doing is going to God yeah. or ta- and taking our concerns to God. So you have these people you want to pray for. It's not, yeah, it's not enough to think happy thoughts for them. Right. I mean, that doesn't really do anything. It might make you more, you know, like happier and not as sad about the situation. Um, you could maybe treat them nicely and smile around them and like brighten their day, but that doesn't do nearly as much as um, actually asking God, the one who can change something, to intervene in the life, yeah. you know, come yeah. do something, heal, heal this person, um, convince this person of something, bring truth, bring light, bring peace, whatever it is in a particular situation. And we don't know exactly why God uh, doesn't f- make everything perfect 
immediately. Right. Every he sees all these needs, but he allows us to pray for them, and then he answers those prayers. Yeah. So I, I guess it's a definition of terms thing. I'm just I'm trying to think outside the box, but. If it's, but I like it. I don't mind offending yeah. those thoughts and prayers. People. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. But I, I think the so so like if you're using the term thoughts to to reject prayer to say that thoughts are are me this individualism this you know relativism this you know it's just I, I am my own god I am in control of my own destiny there is nothing bigger than me it's just uh, all the power comes from me you know. If you if you're if you're using that term thoughts, I'm thinking of you to reject the power of prayer. Then of course it's evil and it's wrong and it just it doesn't you know it, it, it's false. There is a God who does us in our prayers. Um, so uh, that's kind of like scattering ashes, right? The church says you should not even if you it, the church does allow cremation, but it not does not allow allow the scattering of ashes. Why doesn't it allow the scattering of ashes? Not because if you scatter someone's ashes, therefore they cannot have a resurrected body in heaven. You know that's not true. Of course, God's bigger and power, more powerful than that. But the history of scattering of ashes comes from an explicit rejection of the resurrection. In other words, you're not going to need this body again, whereas we believe that we will have resurrected bodies. So if you scatter the ashes, you're saying their life is over, they exist no more, let their, let their ashes go back to the earth, and if they want to be you know, uh, dumped in a lake or a river or whatever, you know, let them do that. But So I think Scattering yeah, ashes, and though. This silly stuff about their energy. Let their energy unite right. with release the it. And great yeah. energy of the. I mean, that's a, it's Hindu and Buddhism, right? You know? And, it's and an, they they have the practice of right. of cremation because it it fits into their understanding of the world. And, and if it's used for as an explicit rejection of the resurrection, nowadays, some people will come and ask me. Can I scatter the ashes? I know they believe in the resurrection of the body. I know that they're not doing it as a rejection, but I still say we need to be obedient as a sacramental sign that this body will be used again. We will need our bodies because God will give us resurrected bodies after the second coming in heaven. So no, please keep it. Please keep it together, um, you know, out of obedience and just the, the 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 sacramental sign of being able to go to a place to visit the body, to have that sacramental action of going to visit the the body in prayer, but then also having the the hope of the resurrection is going to come as well. And I guess my point for that is that it's the same thing with thoughts. Like, like when, when again, this is a bit off topic. Maybe we'll just call this one thoughts and prayers now, um, since we got to this. But th- there's a there's something about when we say thoughts, do we mean remembering? Do we mean anamnesis? Do we mean the beautiful act that, in a sense, thoughts and prayers are the same thing? When I, when I anamnesis someone to mind, when I remember them, when I call them to mind, the only way I can do that that's effective is because I'm also calling them to Christ's mind, because Christ and I are one through theosis, um, the union with God that I have. So there's my, when he, when someone's in my mind, they're also in Christ's mind. That's in a sense what prayer is. It's mm. a very beautiful kind of basic yeah, form of prayer. So why are we saying thoughts? Are we saying it in a way that means, of course, I believe in God. Of course, I mean he's effective. But my thought means that I'm calling them to mind in a beautiful way that allows me to be more prayerful about them or even to do something good for them through the idea. And prayer, of course, the two go together. So. I don't want to. I don't want to find more ways of getting offended by the world, but <laughs> it's a, it's a way of looking at it positively and then being able to no, explain. That's it the way that cool. Makes I think. I think that's true, and I think there is a there's kind of like a I, there's just kind of an an a sign of the dilemma of modern people. Like if you're an atheist and you just don't believe that there's anything out there that can hear prayers or help or right. intervene. 
um, you don't believe that, you know? So when you, you look at the people who say, I'm going to pray for you, and they, you just say, oh, well, that's just thinking good thoughts and being right. nice, you yeah. know? It's not going to do anything. There's nothing can be done or whatever. But I, don't, I think they lack, sometimes, you know, just lack the, the courage to figure out, all right, what exactly then can I do here? And the fact is they can't do much of anything. And they're stuck saying, well, I'm going to try to say something nice by saying I'm going to think good thoughts for you or whatever it is. Right. Um, and then on the other hand, it's like a lot of people don't believe in the power of prayer, even you know Christians or whatever. Yeah. And this is a good check on like, hey, wake up. This right. is real. This isn't just you know positive thinking is going to change. It's not, not the secret, like right. energies or whatever. It's, it's really you're talking to somebody who can do something. Right. And he will. He'll answer those prayers. He promised us he would, yep. you know? Yep. And I think that's that's the beauty of all the subtleties that we talk about in the world. You know, oh, you need you need prayer and action. The two go together. Of course, we need both. Um, you know, the, the, the simplicity of a hermit who goes and goes into the world and says, I'm just going to pray. I'm going to tag out in every way. I'm just going to say, Lord, I surrender. I'm going to get out of the way of what you're doing. I trust. I have enough faith to know that you can act in a way that that will change lives, that will save lives, that will bring people to salvation. You know, there's even uh, in the in the Byzantine tradition of becoming a, a grand schema monk or nun, and that's when you attain that level of holiness in a monastery, the hegumen, the, the abbot will, or abbess will give you, make you a grand schema, and it's actually a vestment you wear. I know I've talked about this before too, but, and, and part of the vestment restricts your arms so that you can't labor anymore. And it's, it's a beautiful sign of saying, you used to have to labor because you were in the world. You had to labor to feed yourself. You had to labor to work. But at some point, you know, that there, you move beyond your own actions and you say, I'm just a, I'm a prayerful person. I have enough faith now where I don't need to labor. And so your, your movement is restricted by this vestment as a sign to you and to others that you've attained a level of faith where you understand that prayer is that effective. Whoa. Yeah, it's beautiful. It sounded like the image, this is rude, but the image that came to my head was this sort of liturgical straitjacket. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. Like, like, like stop, your, your humanity has now been elevated. And they, they call them kind of, as, as David was called the, the saint of the day, they've called him many times um, an angel in the flesh. You know, that's what mm. they consider him. So it's like, they, they kind of are. It's, it's more like a... Their, their bodies are still good and beautiful and necessary, but, but the work that the bodies can do to get in the way of what God is doing, in a sense, the rejection of the power of prayer has now been completely removed. And in many traditions, a grand schema monk was, or nun was the first time that you even could become a hermit. So you weren't allowed to become a hermit until oh, you, really? so you attain this level. You have to start in the monastery. You start in community, absolutely. Okay. And then when you get there, and then you can go become a hermit. Now, obviously, in the ancient church, the canons weren't that explicit about this, and most monk, I mean, monasticism started with Antony the Great. Right. He was a hermit, you know. Yeah, but but now, now it's more organized. Yeah, you, you would not become a hermit without the permission of, of your hegemon, your abbot, and then you'd get this vestment, and then you could go back. All right, we need, what we're missing, at least in northern Colorado right now, yeah. is a bunch of grand schema. Yes. Let's get, all of you who are bored at your job right now, <laughs> or on the drive to your job right now, who aren't married with family. Exactly, right? I was going to say, <laughs> and are single. Let's do it. Let's all become hermits right now. We have beautiful mountain areas that are separate from the world. 
right? You could go up there and, and, and you could be a pilgrimage site. You know, you could be, that, that, that's yeah. actually the heart of even Byzantine monasticism is prayer primarily and secondarily hospitality. So you do create an atmosphere where people can come and experience kind of a little bit of getting away from the world too. Yeah. So if, if you're listening, especially if you live in Northern Colorado and own land that you could donate to, to have a real monastery with real hermits where people could go and live this life of, of reliance upon prayer and then welcome others who need little tastes of that, you know, I think we're, contact we're low on people less than, you know, land and yeah. a place. Yeah. I mean, we just don't have anybody who wants to no, do it. Contemplative right. life is rare right now. Yeah. I mean, there are great great people who are entering monasteries and yeah. there's some young people who are into it but we're, st- we're still a little low on that. I well, think we could field of people, dreams it's, it's build very, it and they will come. It's a very scary life, you know. Oh yeah. Cuz you are going to be treated like you're crazy mm-hmm. and they kind of are crazy. Yeah. It's like walking around with a, a charcoal incense yeah. or whatever. Yeah, in his hand. You know, like this stuff becomes big but most like one out of a thousand of these crazy monks yeah. actually are the great schema or mm-hmm. the saint, you know. Mm-hmm. But that still means there's got to be a thousand people who go out there trying and seek the Lord, and you know. I think that's one of the biggest problems. And actually, I'm gonna uh, we're, we're running low on time, so I want I want to approach one question um, and tie it into this. So uh, Rhonda Fowler-Greenwald, who is a, uh, I've met her once at a vocations rally. She posted on my personal page when I asked, I asked this morning for, for topics, lighthearted topics. That She's we a Fowler? I've got, fa- I've got cousins who are Fowlers. Oh, really? Fargo, that must North be her Dakota. maiden name. Yeah, let me know, Rhonda. After that. Okay. We're probably cousins. Yeah, so Rhonda, yeah, Father Mike Rapp might be related to you. So she writes, Father Michael, I now have a men's and women's discernment group on Vocations Ministries Facebook page. What advice would you give to those discerning what to do about resistance from parents, best resources? You may have already covered this in another episode. If so, please let me know. God bless you. So anyway, uh, Rhonda, what I, what I'm talking about being crazy, that, that is what I've been doing vocations now for almost 13 years in that world. And one thing that I've realized and that I've known even from the beginning was that for a long time in the church, people made a vocation seem easy. And even vocations directors would say, listen, we'll pay off your student loans. You'll get three meals a day. You'll get a house to live in. It's going to be a nice life. You get to love on people. People will love you. And that was just not attractive. I mean, men are like, in the Roman church, they're like, I'm going to give up a wife for this. And in the Byzantine church, because Mary Priest was outlawed in the U.S. for 100 years, they were the same thing. They were like, I'm going to be celibate. I'm going to give up a wife and children for this, for an easy life, three meals a day, no heavy lifting, a, a car, you know, and a nice restaurant. It's like, no, not worth it. But if you tell them, you have to give everything for this vocation. It's like being a parent. Parents give everything to their spouse and to their kids. They exhaust themselves. They, they kenosis, right? They empty themselves like Christ on the cross for their spouse and for their kids. And you're not getting out of that by having a vocation to celibacy. You're not. So especially with celibacy, like becoming a hermit or a monk, you tell them, by the way, no one is going to understand you. This is a life of complete, radical self-gift. You're going to have to give everything, and you're not going to get any thanks from anybody except Jesus Christ. He is your everything. He is the foundation of your life. He is the only one holding you together. People are going to call you absolutely crazy. No one's going to understand you. You will never be cool, and then you're going to die. (laughs) 
<laughs> and you're you're going to go amazing, to the Lord. Amazing sales. Right, no, that's what I'm saying. But I think I think nowadays young people they want what's radical. They want to look different. They want to say, yeah, "What can true. I give everything to?" And so you say, "You, you're. This is going to take everything. This is going to take. You're going to be so humble and humiliated that, but your life is going to be 100 percent self gift." And if we say we need monks and celibates and hermits and people that are going to give everything to pray for their own salvation and for the life of the church, will you sign up for that? Oh yeah. I think if we are more explicit that way, we would absolutely have the vocations coming out of the woodwork because that's what young people want, yeah, and that's what the want, church was missing so long. They want the challenge, you know. I really yeah. responded to that when I was young. You know, here's a life that's different. Mm-hmm. And um, people just kind of know they're made for a certain greatness. Yep. And when you're young, you don't necessarily see the the kind of the things that people really find meaning in and and life in. So, like parents know they can look at their children and feel really great, you know. But as a kid, you don't. You're not there. You don't right. have the kids. You don't have. You don't think that way. And um, but you do want something radical and you know you're made for that, yeah. you know, that greatness. And so I think that, yeah, definitely the challenge helps open up the kids. As far as the parents are concerned, I, um, I think it helps to um, kind of soften something and not burn the bridge by uh, reminding them that you, you go to seminary or you enter into vocational discernment uh, really considering something, and it's not necessarily the end. It's not necessarily the what you're going to do. And life goes on. It's yeah. really not the end of a relationship. Like I know a lot of my relatives were afraid. Oh, you know, you're just going to be cut off from the family, or what? They're going to brainwash you into uh, being so radical that you can't relate to people. And you're so fun, and we love you, and everything. And I'm closer to my family than I ever would have been mm-hmm. otherwise. I'd have been out working so hard that I couldn't talk to them or be around them and everything. And now I'm going to live the rest of my life close by. And so that's, I mean, it's just like, they don't know there's a lot of unknown Mm -hmm. and it's, so it does take some risk taking on the part of the individual and on the part of the family. It just takes courage. I know good Catholic parents who are find it really difficult to let the kid do something as radical as consecrated life or. Well, I think it's for the same reason. And I was like, why, what is the beauty of the cross is that God himself died on the cross, but more than that, he sent his son. Like, that is, it is so radical and beautiful. Mm. It's like, I would die for people, but would I send my child to die for people? Yeah. I don't know. And it's just, I think the same with the parents. Like, you, you tell me, you're going to exhaust yourself in love in this vocation. You're going to exhaust yourself. You're going to be mocked and spit upon just like Christ was. You're going to live a Christ-like existence in this vocation. And you're going to suffer, but you're going to turn the suffering into sacrifice, which is exactly what Christ did. He turned suffering into sacrifice. So you tell me that, and I'm like, heaven, yeah. Like, I, I, of course I want that, yeah, but like, what, what is my mom going to do? Yeah. I don't want to see my child go through that. Like yeah. this same thing that gets me amped up for the vocation is going to, my mom is going to say, I don't know. And yet, there's been a lot of Syrian martyrs on our calendar recently, and they're all mothers. Yeah. And the mothers will walk their children to their death. They'll walk their children to their martyrdom saying, you, my child, I want you to be strong. Do not give in. Die well. Die a good Christian. Like That is so hard for a parent to do. But every parent of someone who's living a radical life of, of complete self-gift, in a sense, is that same Syrian mother, the, the one who is saying, 
no, I, I support your complete self-gift, as long as you're embracing yourself, of course, but I support it, and I'm, in a sense, sending you to a white martyrdom, to complete gift of self in this ministry. But it, that, that's unusual. That takes a, a heroic virtue and self-gift on her part. Any mother or father who lets their child do that is also dying to self, is also giving them their selves as a gift. And so you have, you have to have a saintly heroic parents and saintly heroic child to really embrace a vocation of that much self-gift. And that happens both in marriage and in, in celibacy, of course. Um, but uh, of course, a parent knows parenting, so they know that there's joys there too. Yeah. Um, they they don't know the joys that come from that self gift within celibacy. So just helping them, yeah, make a courageous. I mean, it takes courage and it takes a lot of freedom too. You don't want to manipulate, and I think a lot of parents f- fear that they're going to manipulate their kid if they're going to go into a religious life. It's well, maybe it's they think that they have to because yeah. of my influence or something like that, and you just don't worry about that. At least like. When it comes to religious life, you get so much time to discern that nobody's going to be there only for, you know, like who they've been influenced by or trying to impress somebody or something, right. whatever, you know. Right. So good luck with that. Thanks for all the vocation work. That's a beautiful work. Rhonda, oh, keep it up. Yeah, absolutely. I met her years ago, and she's very involved just as a mother and as a woman in, in, in recruiting and supporting men who are studying for the priesthood. So, yeah, keep up the good work and great question. Glad we could help you out. If we did, all right, Mikey. I think we're running short of time. Is it a? Sh- oh, 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 do you do you want to go? Let's cover I yours. Think- let's just. Be, I no, don't no, know. no. It's just a shout out. Oh, okay. Shout outs. We'll, we'll cover your topic next time. Whatever one you chose. Okay. Uh, yeah, I got a couple shout outs too. Go ahead, Mike. I so I took to writing these down in my phone now. Okay. See, nice. I'm trying to get I better. I did the same thing. <laughs> I'm trying to, it's like a summer resolution. <laughs> right. It's gonna last a week, right. and then it's gonna be. You know, regrets. Uh, <laughs> I got Will Beasley, who emailed me because he liked uh, 4Q521. Nice. And he was in Rose's class at STM. So uh-huh. um, share the joy today. Uh, Will, what's up? And then Amy Hees. I don't know. I, I could have shouted each of these out before. Okay. But I've only started writing them down. So <laughs> forgive me if... This is doubled up, redundant. But she's an artist from Fort Collins, and she came and talked to me. And uh, she gave me the advice to do a little artistic project every day, spend 15 minutes a day, and uh, commit to something even long-term. You can do, uh, it doesn't have to be finished in 15 minutes, but you can just do a little more work on it every day. And um, She's made some really good progress and been able to balance art and life that way and keep up the hobby and keep up the prayer she really prays the art and it's she's got some beautiful stuff and um it was moving to me i haven't been good at it recently because i've been bouncing around from place to place but i uh, did pick up that practice for a while and i'm grateful for it amy thank you nice, nice. sweet okay i have a uh, two shout outs real quick uh jeff dodds i ran into him at uh at john the 23rd i believe up in fort collins uh, st john the 23rd catholic parish um, he recognized my voices. He was walking by. I was I think I was talking to my mom or something like that. And he, is he a student? I went to school he was with a student. Jeff so he, he's he's joining um, the religious order, the Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary. Oh, right. I, I think he's he's younger than you, but I think he's a student up there. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he's young enough to be um, Jeff Dodds. Yeah. I think. Okay. I, think I wrote different. that down right. Okay. Different anyway. Jeff Dodd. What's up, Jeff Dodd from Wichita? I, from a college seminary. Oh, nice. Nice. So other Jeff Dodd. Um, so Jeff Dodd, uh, God bless your discernment. If you're still discerning, I hope you are. 
and uh, and your formation as well. And second of all, uh, this is the first time this has happened. I got recognized by face in the St. Louis airport. Like oh, this yeah. guy just walked up to me and was like, "Are you Father Michael from the podcast?" I was like, "Yes." Uh-oh. And I was like, "You didn't even hear my voice," but he on Facebook he knows he knows my face from Facebook. Okay. So anyway, uh, so Nick from the St. Louis airport. Um, it's just because you look cool. It, maybe it's the <laughs> luminosity, dude. Well, there we go. Maybe it's the uh, luminosity. I'm not, not going to claim that. that. That would be God God mocking me for my unholiness. Anyway, that's false humility right there. Don't do yeah, that. That was okay. stupid. Sorry about that. Um, anyway, Nick from St. Louis Airport um, have a, has a fiance. So God bless your discernment, your formation as well as you prepare for marriage. Yeah, and yeah, that's it. I don't get your last name, just Nick. And also shout out to the two uh, two kids I ran into at the Knights of Columbus Hall on Saturday evening. I walked over to them because they were reading the book "Drinking with the Saints." I don't ever heard. I think oh, it's called yeah, "Drinking nice. with the Saints." Anyway, they have every every saint like has a drink, an alcoholic drink with them. So I I saw them reading, and I was like, "Yes!" And I walked over there, and uh, and they also listened to the podcast. But I didn't even get your name. So shout out to you if you're listening. And that's about it. I got one more. Yes. So do it. Father Brian Larkin recently had a birthday, and I want to shout out to his crew: uh, Brittany Brown, nice. Danielle, uh, Megan was there visiting. We got uh, Matt Rudolph, nice. John O'Brien. It's just kind of the crew sitting around the fire. So yeah. I want to say hi to them. I know Father Brian will never hear this, right? But I like uh, his being annoyed by he his friends not talking about it, yes. and I'm hoping this will contribute to that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, man. All right, take Catholic care, everybody. Stuff. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Absolutely. Catholic stuff podcast at Gmail. Catholic stuff um, podcast Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, all the rest of the day, man. If you can get it on your A-track, on your old TV. <laughs> on your A-track. Take care, day. everybody. God bless.